Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. Dan here with Phil Hay from The Athletic. The start of Kaiser Chiefs Week here on the Square Ball Podcast. More details on that in just a minute or two. First of all, a reminder that this show is brought to you by West Yorkshire Electrical, who offer you a full range of accredited electricians, services and roofing as well. Um, Specialists in renewables, which means you can get your panels, your battery storage, uh, your vehicle chargers, all that sort of stuff. And when they put the panels on your roof, they will use their own team of roofers to sort it out. And they can do roof work as well, quite independent of that. But you've got fire alarms, CCTV, all the usual stuff with finance available for work on your home and your business. Wyelectrical.co.uk for details. And find them on your socials as well. Just search for West Yorkshire Electrical. Monday morning then, Phil. The dust has settled a little bit on what was quite the weekend. Is that fair to say? Uh, the new data that we've got is that uh, there were some more games after we played on Friday. But I just want to start by asking, have you ever seen anything like that? That last 15 minutes, the, the wildness, the pandemonium, Ellen Road being in the moment, shall we say? It's a great question because I, I've had several supporters, including you, say since Friday night, that they can't remember the last time they saw it like that. I think you said that in 20 years, you're not sure you've seen an atmosphere quite like it after the Roberts goal went in and, and as it as it all played out in the last 10 minutes of normal time and then injury time as well. And that discussion was going on in the press room afterwards. People who followed Leeds for years saying it was it felt really unique, that. And it was absolutely wild. And it was making me think over the weekend. I mean, the stadium redevelopment has been in the ether at Leeds for a good four or five years now, and it's never really got moving. It's never really moved forward. The 49ers will press the button on it at some stage, but it will be promotion dependent as it always has been. And to this point, even though when they first bought, bought Radrazani out last year, there's kind of suggestions from people around them that, that there might be announcements about stadium development before the turn of the year, which hasn't hasn't developed. And I think um, at the moment, everything is just fixated on on promotion. But it got me thinking about how it is that you go about changing a stadium like that, which has to change and has to be upgraded. And you know that commercially the, the arguments to that are, are all entirely sound and, and totally valid. But how do you change it without losing what it has? Because that atmosphere and, and the kind of edge inside Ellen Road is intangible. There's no particular reason for that stadium to have a better atmosphere than, than in, anywhere else. But it just does. And the ability of the crowd to make teams at Ellen Road melt. And occasionally it's their own team. You know, there have been, I've seen occasions where the Ellen Road crowd has made Leeds melt. But the way in which it does it to the opposition is quite remarkable. And you saw that on um, on Friday. I mean, Leicester, for a lot of the second half, had Leeds in the palm of their hand. 
And you could see in Maresca's face that he couldn't quite believe the way in which it had all got completely out of control. And at the point where it did get out of control, you see opposition players lose their marbles as people around them in the stands are kind of losing their heads. And it does clearly affect the clarity of thought. There was just no way I didn't feel that Leicester were going to get back into that once it went one all. You could only see Leeds winning it at 2-1 as Leeds were piling forward in search of a third goal. You could only see it going to to 3-1. My editor on the night messaged me um, as it went into injury time and said, Leeds will score a third here, even though you know there was an argument to say, sit back, protect what you've got. It just wasn't how it was because Leicester had, had the train of thought, you know, the, the thread of Leicester's performance had gone completely. And in no way did I call Friday night at the point where Leeds were 1-0 down. But I did say to Rob Tanner, our Leicester City writer who was there with me, I said, we've seen some weird things go on here late on at Ellen Road, even when you think the game might be up or even when you think it's one of those evenings when when it isn't happening. Because it would be hard to deny that there were periods in that second half where it just did not feel like it was going to happen. It was completely off the chain, that last 15 minutes. I mean, it, it, it actually was quite flat at times prior to that because Leicester kind of had the the grip of the game in their hands, didn't they? They were obviously in front and there was a little bit of tension in the air and the Leicester fans were kind of lauding it over the Leeds fans. But when that switch flipped, it was unlike anything I've seen in a long, long time. The noise and the the response was um, reminiscent. I think it was Adam Pope at BBC Radio Leeds who said it was like louder than the, the Becchio versus Millwall goal. And it, it felt like that. And it felt like that the stadium was sort of shaking towards the end. It was... It was yeah. It was very, very, very special. What, what did did Rob make of it, Rob Tanner, from a, a Leicester City point of view? That last fifteen minutes, because there there seems to be a theme running through what Leicester fans are saying that the subs were wrong and possibly too late. I mean, Michael even remarked on the the shows that we did that it felt like he took off all the players, Maresca, that that had been hurt in Leeds and had settled for the one nil, which. I suppose it's the only bit of analysis that I've been able to do watching it back is that that swung the game in our favour. What what did you make of that, Phil? What did Rob make of it? I think that's true. But I think in Maresca's defence, if you have a game in which you are 1-0 up and a goal's disallowed, which I think VAR would probably have um, would probably have given as a goal because in real time, you know, in, the, the linesman on the near side touchline post us, there were occasions in the first half where he did very much seem to be guessing when it came to to throw-ins and, and and everything else. But that was a really tough decision, that disallowed goal. It was incredibly hard at the time to see who that had come off and, and whether Chowdhury had got a touch on it then before Dak stuck it in or whether or not it had come off Furpo. And when you looked back at the replay, you needed to watch it several times to be sure. But it did look like it came off Furpo and, and that goal, goal should have stood. But I don't think the evening, or certainly not the aesthetics of the evening, would have been helped by what would have been like a five-minute delay to to decide on that. But if that goes in, Leicester probably win the game. I think, in fairness to Maresca as well, the way in which they set up really worked for them. And they, they couldn't have asked for two bigger chances than those one-on-ones that they missed. The second miss from Dakar was particularly amateur, you know, really, really poor finish. And I think if you're in Maresca's position, you can only stand in the dugout and say, I can't believe that we haven't finished this off at this point because we've had all the chances. I, I felt very much in the first game at the King Power that, Leeds had the measure of that game that they had the more their football was more intense. They were the better side on the night. Absolutely deserved the win. I felt for parts of the game, long parts of the game on Friday, that Leicester had Leeds' number, and particularly in the second half, seemed to have set up perfectly. You know, it was really working for them the way they were playing. They created the chances they would have wanted to create. I wonder how significant it was that Vardy wasn't able to be in the squad 
Because those are exactly the sort of chances that you look for with Vardy going through beyond the last man one-on-one. And he's he's usually deadly in those situations. And because they missed those chances, that was what made you start to think, perhaps there is something left in this and perhaps there is going to be you know, a, a really, really big swing. And I think you have to say with Leeds, you, you can't say that they were defensively resilient on Friday because they weren't. You know, the disallowed goal, those two big chances missed. They were letting Leicester in. But they were very, very mentally strong to be able to find themselves in the game with 10 minutes to go and then to do that. And I just think as the weeks go by, more and more struck and more and more impressed with the unit Farker has built, with the, the way in which he's managed them technically, but but also mentally as well. It's a, a huge, huge result. And yes, I think to, to an extent, the changes by Maresca didn't help. But even to look at, at the, the first goal, it's a mistake, defensive mistake from Vestergaard to come out at Ruta like that. Ruta is so good on his feet and so good at beating a man that it was kind of it was kind of asking for trouble that letting Ruta into the box. And again, you know, Ruta in the first half didn't seem to be able to do anything right. But the thing with him and other players in, in this Leeds team is that you know there's always a chance that at some point something will happen. He will do something that will will make a difference. And as soon as that first goal went in, the swing of momentum was just so strong. Um, you could almost sense what was coming next. Yeah, and you've got to give huge credit to the team that Leicester put out. I thought they were better in this game, as you say. They set up better in this one than they did in the, the home fixture when they allowed us to press them. They pressed us far better in this return fixture um, than I think they did in the um, in the first one. They isolated our centre-backs and full-backs in really dangerous positions and they ran out. It's the first time I've seen them sort of run out of ideas. They'll probably be fine, won't they? They've amassed enough points for them to be absolutely fine, but I'm not surprised a few arses are twitching given that the gap's now down no. to six points, Phil. No, and, and I was quite surprised afterwards to hear Maresca say, you know, the table is going to end up much tighter than this at the end. You know, that our form is very unusual and, and unnatural, and, and it is. I mean, this doesn't often happen in the championship, but it's, it seemed like a slightly strange way to, to couch it. I mean, I think overall he was pretty pretty happy with the way Leicester played. I, I was dead impressed with Dewsbury Hall in the middle. He, along with a couple of leads, would be a really strong contender for, for Championship Player of the Year. But there was a wonderful moment at 2-1 down where Leicester had a free kick um, on the uh, the right-hand side of the box, the one that Rodon cleared off the line, where you could see Dewsbury Hall just glance at the south stand, which was was going up. And you could see him thinking to himself, I don't know how this has happened and I don't know what's going on. You know, it was just people, you know, no no longer any cohesion in their performance and, and no real chance of them digging anything out because the madness was was too intense. I think you're right. They they should still still be fine. But I think I think the title's very much open now. And it's not that it's not Leicester's to lose. And it's not that six points at, at this point isn't a fairly big gap. It it definitely is. And it's still going to take an exceptional run uh, from Leeds to to do that. But things have turned a little bit in the last couple of weeks. And and it was imperative if if Leeds were going to win the title that they were able to win that on Friday night. And I don't know. Sometimes I find myself in you know, that frame of mind that, that makes you think the only thing that really matters is getting out of the division. Um, and that's, you know, that's it. That's all it, it comes down to. But then as, as it was at Allen Road on Friday and I was looking at the, the Clake Champions mural on the wall and you think like, these things do matter. You know, they, they do matter. And if it happens for you, the, the moments that you remember in the way that Friday night is the sort of moment that you'll you'll talk about in 10 years time, or at least if somebody talks to you about it in 10 years time, you'll remember what it was. You'll remember how it, how it went. And, I don't know. I just feel sometimes football has kind of been hijacked by some people who don't really seem to like the game or don't really seem to, the thing that they love about it doesn't seem to be first and foremost the football itself. And 
I don't know. I I just thought on Friday night that that is the sport, isn't it? Who are you angling at there then, Phil? What who are the people who don't love football enough? It's the people who are driven by money. It's the people for whom finance and football seems to be the first priority or the, the thing that they they fixate on. I know there's a, a clash between people who like data, people who don't like data, but I think a lot of the analytical work and, and analytical writing that's done on football is really interesting and really insightful and tells you a lot about the way in which teams are built and teams are maintained and, and how they improve. And I always think that, you know, if you're interested in players and, and managers, which people are, you have to kind of reflect how much they themselves are now interested in data and analysis. And it is a massive part of their work and of their daily week and, and training and everything else. But there are also core of people in football who just seem obsessed with the money you can make from it and making it financially bigger and everything being about growth and expansion, but expansion in a in a commercial sense. And it just seems totally contrary to to what you see in, on a night like that at, at Ellen Road. And I guess this comes back to the, the stadium when it does get redeveloped, is that it needs to be commercially better for Leeds. There's no denying that at all. It doesn't earn them enough money. Um, it doesn't give them the, the best scope of, of being competitive. But it still needs to be a ground with a soul, which is what it is at the moment. Um, and Leeds of all clubs, I think, can't afford to lose that. Well, speaking of the stadium, that allows me to neatly segue into this, Phil. I'm going to play some guitar music for you now because we're doing um, we're doing Kaiser Chiefs week here on the Square Ball podcast and you had the whole stadium singing I Predict a Riot at full time. Um, this week, the Kaiser Chiefs Easy 8th album is out. It's out on Friday, 1st of March. Uh, it features contributions from Niall Rogers, the Cribs on there as well. Simon Ricks off of the BBC podcast, but also, of course, of the Kaiser Chiefs. He's coming in on Wednesday to do a show with us. We're going to find out what he makes exactly of the whole stadium singing I Predict a Riot. So listen to us or watch us this week. And to celebrate the eighth album, you can win a huge Kaiser Chiefs prize pack. It's the eighth album. So there are eight things in the prize pack. You've got three copies of the new album. So tape, CD and vinyl. So you can pick your poison, whichever you want. Um, two tickets to go see the Kaiser Chiefs on their upcoming headline tour in the UK as well. Um, a limited edition Kaiser Chiefs football shirt produced by Admiral. There's an art print in there and a merch voucher from us as well. So Monday to Thursday this week, each day, you're going to get a number. All you have to do is add those phone numbers up over the course of the week, get your answer, and I'll give you details of how to enter this competition on Thursday. Just to let you know, the competition does close at midnight, Thursday the 29th of February into Friday morning. So Thursday into Friday midnight, it'll close. And then the winner will be announced um, with us on this show Friday the 1st of March, the day that the album itself is out. Um, Terms and conditions apply. For details, see kaiserchiefs.com. Today's number is this then. So write this number down along with like um, uh, all the numbers that are going to be coming up across, across the course of the week and you'll get your answer. Um, so today's clue, Gary Speed shirt number, subtract Crescenzio Somerville's current shirt number. So it's Gary Speed shirt number minus Crescenzio Somerville's current shirt number will give you today's clue and today's number. There is another one coming for you on Propaganda on Tuesday. There'll be another one with Simon on Wednesday. And then um, Thursday, the weekly show. I forgot about the midweek game this week as well because I didn't factor in that we were going to be in the fifth round of the cup, Phil. But we'll get on to that in due course. We need to preview that game. Write down those four numbers. Thursday, I'll tell you exactly how you can enter the competition. Kaiser Chiefs week here on the Square Ball podcast. Right, back to it then, Phil. Let's um, let's talk business then, shall we? And uh, Southampton against Millwall was the one that nobody saw coming over the weekend. What did you make of that? I would imagine Southampton will see that as the wrong game at the wrong time, given that the, there was a change of manager, which will, I think, make quite a big difference to to Millwall. They were sinking really badly um, with, with Joe Edwards, and, and it wasn't a surprise at all that they took a decision to 
to make a change, um, bring somebody else in. And I think whether or not Neil Harris is a good option for them long term, um, I think is is debatable. But in, in terms of what Millwall are and what they like to be and and what they need at the moment, he's probably the perfect appointment for them. Um, somebody who can can pro- proper, properly rev up that dressing room. I think uh, you might have played to me last week a clip from Millwall podcast in which they were the person doing it was basically complaining that there was no fight, there was no commitment. That age-old thing of, we don't mind if we go down as long as you look like it matters and, and you look like you care. And I think with Harris in the dugout, that'll be the case. You know, they, they will get that. So overnight, that almost became a far more difficult fixture than it might otherwise have been. But yeah, damaging result for them. And and I think this is what Leeds have been doing for week after week after week, is because the wins are, are ticking over so rapidly, and that's them up to nine now. So you know, they're, they're on the verge of, of making making history. It means that everybody around them is having to be perfect too. And that's extremely difficult to do, despite how great the form has been for all four of the clubs who are up there. It's virtually impossible not to, to miss a step. And I think that would have been my feeling on Friday. If Leicester had taken one of those chances in the second half, and if they'd won the game, which I think in, in, in all fairness they should have done, I would have come away from it thinking, well, you know, philosophically, this is going to happen. You know, there are going to be moments where it doesn't quite work. That's probably the most difficult game of the season, give or take. And it's um, it's gone Leicester's way. But needless to say, from this point, if you're chasing Leeds now, you either need Leeds to drop off or you need your own form to um, to put pressure on in, in return. And I don't know. I mean, there's just been this quiet confidence about Farker, this quiet confidence about his team for a while. And it does feel like they've been on this run for a long, long time. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's an interesting question around emotional control, I think. Particularly, have you seen that clip of, of Russell Martin, the Southampton manager, refusing to shake the hand of his, is it his goalkeeper who offers him his hand or one of the players, whichever it is. And then he walks over in the direction of, of the ref. And you contrast that with how calm Daniel Farker is. And and Russell Martin, I saw, I saw a couple of people in the responses to this being flagged up on, on Twitter, like Swansea fans saying, yeah, he's, he's an emotional manager and he's prone to going on big, big winning streaks. But you also might find that you go on big losing streaks as well because he, t- he tends to sort of seesaw. And we, and we saw a lot of it actually in Jesse Marsh, kind of, you know, very performative 
sort of emotional displays on the touchline. And Farker has been kind of the antithesis of that, really, hasn't he? He's always acted like, and it's something we've spoken about in recent weeks, about, yeah, how he just seems very kind of stoic and philosophical and he's almost just seeing this one through to the last five or six games of the season, which is the time that he always he always flagged up right from back at the start, didn't he? He said, those are the ones that matter, not now. It's going to be really interesting to look back at the end of the season at what he said at the outset and how it's matched up with what's actually happened. Because at the moment, there's a lot of correlation between how he predicted this would go and, and how it actually has gone, particularly the, the difficult first month that he anticipated and the, the sort of bumpy start, I think, as, as he put it. There's no precise formula to this because it's not to say that emotional coaches aren't good. I mean, when on the, the day when Hernandez scored that goal against Swansea and, and Leeds were really, really on the brink of promotion, huge result, we angled our match piece around watching Bielsa in the dugout for those 90 minutes. And it was so emotionally charged and so frenetic um, from start to finish that you wondered how he could kind of take that game after game after game, you know, his body and, and his mind. So he's, he was very different in that respect. Farker is an extremely, extremely calm guy and I think has been all season. Hasn't panicked in moments where it might have been possible to panic. I think if you're being honest about it, there haven't really been that many stretches where it looked like it was getting out of hand. But there was that little difficult period before the turn of the year, particularly after the defeat to West Brom. And I think he I think he almost acknowledged at that stage that for the first time he, he was being questioned. You know, people were starting to ask about the, the results away from home, um, looking for a change there, which um, which we, we've definitely, definitely had. But he's been rational about things as well. I mean, whether or not you think Leeds were, were lucky on Friday, and I think you have to be honest and say that to a degree they were, I don't think that's happened much this season at all. And, and in actual fact, I think if you went through penalty decisions in particular, some that haven't been given, you, you would probably take the view that Leeds have had the rough end of the stick, minus VAR, than, than they've had the smooth end of it. And that's not in any way to suggest that I would advocate VAR coming into the Championship because I don't think we've missed it at all. Um, and I know it's easy to say that on nights like Friday when, when Leicester would have probably been awarded that second goal rather than, than it being given offside. But I would still apply it to the Rotherham game where there was the foul from Pelty on Dan James, I think, which looking back again, should have been a penalty. It definitely was. But that's what they call the rub of the green, isn't it? And, and it comes down to things evening themselves out, which I genuinely believe that they do um, season season after season. So I don't think in any way this year Leeds have been a lucky team. I think that is probably the first night Friday where they've really got away with a situation that they shouldn't have, have got away with. And given that we're this many games in, you can only put that down as credit to them. Absolutely. I think um, Farker's emotional control as well is giving, as the season wears on and the results keep sort of mounting up, Phil, it's giving a degree of certainty insofar as you can to what is a traditionally quite anxious and nervous Ellen Road crowd that has always kind of lived on its on its wits end. Basically, what Farker has said is is coming to pass. And I think it's really, really helping us for the running. And I think it's helping to give more surety, more certainty about what this running is probably going to look like. And talking about the lack of emotional control, you've seen like Chris Wilder in recent weeks you know, the whole sandwich gate thing, that unfolding. And you've seen, and I suspect, and I don't know if I'm wrong, I'm projecting and tell me what you think about this. You see in him, a guy who has gone in there trying to fire up that that Sheffield United team to make them fight to try and survive. But it seems to be kind of spilling over and you see the whole sandwich thing as a, as a bit of a lack of, a, of emotional control. And you saw it in like Mason Holgate's red card and the fact that two of their players were fighting over the weekend. And you, you do wonder if sometimes that can start to 
uh, spill over into the squad become a little bit too much and they start to lose that control. I think there's a, there's an added element to that, which is that Sheffield United are, are going down um, and have been going down for a long time and have just not at any stage got it together this season. And, you know, I, I was watching as, um, as one of the goals went in over the weekend, I was watching their keeper just kind of punch it back into the net and you could always see in his body language him saying, I've been doing this for week after week after week and here we go again. So as you'll remember with Dennis Wise and Leeds when um, when Leeds went down, these situations do manifest themselves into a bit of poison, a dressing room, a bit of bad feeling, you know, a, a general lack of emotional cohesion because everybody is so angry about what's what's going on. On the flip side, you you would have to say that Wilder did quite a job with Sheffield United getting them promoted, you know. So in, in different circumstances, perhaps that that works for him in a, in a different way. And and obviously, if Leeds do go up, then Farka has the challenge of making sure that they're competitive in the Premier League. And if they're not, and they come under pressure early on then that asks something different of him. But this hasn't been a doddle for him. You know, it's not been it's not been a sort of plain sailing season where it was all set up at the start. It really wasn't. And I think you do have to repeatedly stress, you know, what, what you were kind of seeing at the outset was a, a team that was a long way from being finished in early August. Team in a dressing room and a, a club who still had a lot of problems to, to resolve. And he managed that really carefully, really steadily, said the right things, did the right things, didn't cause fights that he didn't need to to start, but did pick fights that he felt he needed to win. You know, so Nonto, for example, and, and Sinistera and others leaving them out. You have to say that when he when he's decided to draw the battle lines, he tends to come out on top with it. And it has been a really good performance at this point. And and I think the thing that sticks in my head constantly is the way that he bangs the drum of two points a game, 26 wins. You know, worry about the table when we get down to the last five, six games, which we're starting to get pretty close to now. And it's it's done the trick for him. You know, it's just given a bit of a tunnel vision that's prevented any kind of awkward or complicated headlines for him, prevented any narrative outside of what he'd like you to be talking about or thinking about or, or writing about. It's just been extremely steady and it was 100% what they needed. I think it was Pat Bamford, wasn't it, who touched on this in one of the uh, the post-match interviews over the weekend, just sort of saying, he's telling us to keep calm. This is Farker. And he's saying aim for those two points per game and we'll see where it takes us. And, and I think it was Bamford anyway who said, and, and he's been proved right so far. So yeah, yeah. Fing, fingers crossed it, it just, we just maintain that that momentum and, and the games in front of us now, a golden chance for us to, to build on and capitalise on that. Um, just got to, I, I, got, I just, hold our nerve and keep our course, haven't we really? Yeah, I, I think though, that there's a difference between telling people to stay calm and, and projecting that message in a way that makes them think that you are um, and gives them confidence that you are. It's fine you know, doing the Corporal Jones thing of don't panic. But when you're saying to people, just focus on this, concentrate on that, they then, for example, players need to hear you saying the same things when you speak publicly. You know, they they, they need to avoid, you need to avoid a sort of contradiction of message, which means that you're telling them one thing behind the scenes to try and keep everything together. But actually when you're pressed by journalists or anybody else, you, you're saying something different or you, you're giving a different impression or you're making your own levels of confidence seem lower than they they ought to be. And that's probably the thing. It's it's pretty authentic and genuine with Farka. The the, the calmness that, that he's he's given off that, that seems to be coming for, from him. You don't feel like it is performative and you don't feel like it's it's being put on. It it feels as if it is pretty inherent. And these players just want to play now, don't they? Like game after game. I know it's a, a terrible load at the minute in terms of midweek games all the time. There seems to be barely space to breathe but actually when you're in the zone like this when things are going right for you they just want to carry on playing don't they and I guess that brings us neatly round to 
to the cup game uh, against Chelsea this week. And I mean, really, if you could have picked an outcome from the League Cup final, Chelsea going to 120 minutes and then losing, couldn't have been much better, could it, I think? Yeah, it feels like a pretty horrible tie for Chelsea, which is not to say that they won't win it because um, they, they do have a very good squad there. But at Stamford Bridge as well, I can't see the mood being anything other than fairly flat after what went on um, against Liverpool yesterday. I think particularly what went on in extra time, you know, and just the complete lack of commitment to trying to win the game in that period, despite the, the sort of state that Liverpool were in with um, you know, players going off injured and, and such a, a young team. There, only, there was only one side who, who were trying to win it in, you know, and, and avoid avoid penalties. And you know what Gary Neville said about Chelsea, which people will have heard, seemed to seem to resonate. I think, and and that will sting. You know, that sort of thing will hurt. And and not only that, you have Leeds in in this kind of form, in this kind of mood. I mean, Farker won't be stupid with this one. He, he will he will use his squad to a certain degree, but I think quietly he'll quite fancy it, and I think he should. Yeah, I don't really mind which way this one goes. More cup ties doesn't necessarily feel like a good thing when there's so much on the line in terms of the league, but quarterfinal of a cup would be all right, wouldn't it? I guess this is the it's the proverbial free hit, Phil. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but I say this all the time. I, I've never written about a good FA Cup run for Leeds at all. I've written about individual FA Cup games, which have been... It's not all know, about you, Phil. God. Really memorable. No, it de- no, definitely, <laughs> no. definitely isn't. Definitely isn't. Um, but... Twenty years of doing this tells you how long it is since there was anything resembling a, a decent stretch in in the FA Cup. So I don't think anybody would object to them getting into the quarterfinals. And I also just don't feel that to this point it's it's hindered them in any way. And you're right, you know it it, it does threaten congestion and it does pack the fixture list slightly. But I think Farker has got the depth and the quality to to be able to cope with that in his dressing room. It's different if injuries suddenly start to bite. But at this stage, there would be no justification for saying, look, just throw this tie. There's no point getting through. You know, it's easier to to concentrate on the league. They have concentrated on the league and it's going fine. So why not go and try and win this? With that in mind, the final thought about the Chelsea game is you probably wouldn't make too many changes, would you, for this one? No, I think you'll make some. And I think you'd, you'd probably be sensible about that just because Huddersfield is early kickoff on Saturday. So, you know, again, and, and they, they manage the travel and recovery and everything else extremely well through that run um, through, you know, Bristol, Swansea and, and Plymouth. So again, it's it's nothing out of the ordinary, this, but they just need to be a, a little bit little bit careful. So, for example, do you bring in Dan James? I think you you possibly do. Do you start Bamford? Do you mix it up slightly without without breaking up the formula completely? I think there are ways in which Farker can make it different, but essentially keep the performance the same. Good stuff, Phil. Right, we'll get back together towards the back end of the week and we will see how the cup game went. We will preview Huddersfield and a quick reminder that the Kaiser Chiefs Easy 8 album is out this coming Friday and you can win that eight-way prize package from the Chiefs as well. Three copies of the new album, two tickets to go see them on their tour, a limited edition football shirt, there's the art print and we'll give you a merch voucher as well from the square ball. Write down the clue from today, which is Gary Speed's shirt number minus Crescencio Somerville's current shirt number that's today's number write it down keep it safe and there's another one coming tomorrow on propaganda details of how to enter the competition coming your way on thursday phil see you later in the week thank you very much the square ball podcast small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, 
edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.